0: Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit TrinityChurchLondon.com. It was 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, Some of you have heard this story before um, about a couple of fish uh, swimming down the stream and uh, two young fish swimming down a stream and an older fish swims the other way and he asks the two younger fish how's the water today and the two younger fish carry on walking, swimming I do know my biology and they keep swimming and then one of the younger fish looks to the other younger fish and asks what's water anyone heard this story it's this idea that, that the environment that we live in Is like so prevalent and so all consuming and so ubiquitous that very often we just miss the things that are like right in front of us. Very often we miss the very air that we breathe, the very culture, the very environment, the very questions that people around us are asking. We miss the things that are absolutely obvious. To us, the things like how we were raised and where we were raised, and um, the the circumstances and the good events and the bad events, all of these things actually shape us as people, often without us even knowing that they're shaping us. The biggest things are often the things that we that we miss. Our culture is like water to us as human beings and it's only often when we get transported into another culture or you meet another group of people from another situation where you realize oh this wasn't just the way life was there was a particular way that I was doing things and you realize my questions about life and my concerns and my beliefs are actually different because they're asking very different questions and anyone been traveling and you've had that experience and you're like and then you come back and you view life here very differently, or the other way around. Anyone had that experience? You think we we are swimming and living in water? And what Paul is doing, I think, in this chapter is he's, he's really trying to point out to us the water that we are swimming in. He's trying to highlight to us the culture that we are in and the kind of pressures that are on us and what can shape us. Because I think we all know that what we say we believe in does not always shape our behavior you've probably met someone who said you know like oh i don't care what they think and you really do know that they desperately do care what those people think. And in fact, the more they protest, they're like, I don't care what they think, I'm just gonna do my own thing. You know, deep down, like they are very vulnerable and really do care what these other people think. So just because we say one thing doesn't mean that our lifestyle and our behavior matches up with this. And, and a lot of what it is to become a, a Christian is, in a sense, to get called out of a culture to believe in a, in a different God and to trust in Jesus Christ. And so that our belief, our creed, who we say we believe in is now Jesus Christ. Him crucified, resurrected, ascended on high. And the, the rest of our Christian life, in a sense, is drawing our lifestyle and our behavior and who we are in private and what we do with our money and who we are with our relationships drawing all of these things into alignment with our belief that our behaviors are actually have integrity with our beliefs it's kind of what ash was praying out about kate forbes that what we believe actually matches what we beha- how we behave and how we behave actually matches what we believe does that make sense and oftentimes what we do is we start a christian life and we believe in orthodox christian truth we believe in the gospel we trust in christ and we say hallelujah except there are all these bits of our life still that are kind of wayward from our belief so there's our, how we deal with our money and how we deal with our relationships and our attitudes and our priorities and all these things. And they slowly, the Christian growth is slowly repenting and bringing these behaviours into alignment with the gospel. And so that over time, as we mature, hopefully, that our behaviours actually begin to match up with the goodness of the gospel. So that when we say Jesus Christ is Lord, our lifestyle and our life looks like Jesus Christ is Lord. So we don't say on a Sunday, Jesus Christ is Lord. And yet throughout the week, we seem to display that other people's opinions are really Lord or gaining money is Lord or career progression is Lord or whatever it might be. Our own cup of tea Which is a very English thing to say. But you know what I'm saying? There is this moment where uh, Paul, he had to confront Peter who was like the first leader of the Jerusalem church. He was a senior leader in the early church. And Peter was preaching the gospel that everyone has fallen short of the glory of God, that everyone is sinful. Everyone has done wrong in the eyes of God. And yet the good news is this, is that Jesus Christ has died for everybody, that anyone can come, not on the basis of their own life, but on the basis of his life. So whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you can come to Christ freely and accept his life and be welcomed into the church family. And so he was preaching this. And in that day for a Jewish leader to preach this, it was, was radical because if you were a fundamentalist Jewish person, you did not eat with those who weren't Jewish. And so Peter declared, no, because of the gospel, Jew and Gentile are now one in Christ Jesus. And what that meant is you can have your spaghetti bolognese with a Gentile. You can eat together. It's this?" new community is being formed and yet what happened once in the city of Antioch when Peter was there he was eating with the Gentiles the non-Jewish believers in church and then some of the religious leaders from Jerusalem came down those who were highly respected those who carried a lot of weight those who probably looked fairly austere and you know what they said went and when they came to the church in Antioch he got nervous and so when it came to dinner time he broke away from his Gentile friends and sat only with the Jews. So he was preaching that the gospel is for everyone and this new community is being formed. And yet his behavior in that moment declared something else. Not that Christ is Lord, but these religious leaders opinions were lords. And so Paul has to confront Peter in this moment. And he says, your behavior is not in line with the truth the gospel and Paul continually was helping Christians draw their lifestyle into line with the good news of Jesus Christ and that's what he's really doing in this passage here he's doing it I think with there there are two things going on one I think there's a lot of pain here for Paul because he planted this church And he started this church and he loves this church. And this church now are basically beginning to look down upon him as someone who is not really like the kind of leader that they wanted. So the very church that he started are now beginning to reject him and his ministry and the words that he's saying to them. So I think this passage comes with pain. And you'll also find out this passage comes with A lot of sarcasm like I think there is this sarcastic tone and this pain that comes through and it's a very it's one of the most raw passages that I think that we have with Paul he really lets his emotion go he starts off he writes this as a father to this church and he starts off with thanksgiving and kindness and he slowly gets a bit sterner and he kind of peak emotion at this point like his innermost emotions come forth And what has been bubbling underneath the surface, that there is this separation between the church and Paul now, he really begins to to highlight. And it all comes down to this. It comes down to the fact that Paul was seeking to live his life conformed to the image of Christ. And the church were drinking the waters of the Corinthian culture and were taking on board Corinth more than they were taking on board Christ. And so while Paul was living a life that looked like following Jesus, the church in Corinth were living a life that looked like following Corinth. And in this passage, basically, these two ways of life gets contrasted and highlighted before us. And Paul is urging the Corinthians to be conformed to the image of Christ and to the gospel. So let me just walk through this passage with us and just like see this contrast and we're seeing what it is to walk in the way of Christ and what it is to walk in the way of our culture. So 1 Corinthians and he says in verse verse 8 already you have all that you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you've become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. So in Corinth, they celebrated wealth. They celebrated fashion. They celebrated clothes. They celebrated celebrity. They loved. They had competitions in public speaking in a particular way. And some of the wise orators kind of proclaimed themselves to be king like in their culture. And he's saying, look at you, church, like you're doing so well in the eyes of the culture, like you're kings. Like if we could just be part of that, that would be amazing. You get the sarcasm that's coming through here. And then he says, for I I think God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. In, in this moment, if a, if a, if a Roman um, centurion or a Roman leader uh, won a battle, they were allowed, as it were, a parade through Rome. And so if they had taken down a city or had taken down a section of land, they were able to take some of the wealth, some of what they'd taken from that. They would take it to Rome and they would take some prisoners of war like this token symbol of their victory and they would get a parade through Rome. A little bit like when Chelsea wins the Champions League and they get a parade down Fulham Road and they get on a bus and everyone cheers and the trophy comes with them. Like the Roman, yeah, you're with me. And they would get this parade through Rome and at the very end of this parade, after all the wealth had been displayed, everything had been taken, the prisoners of war would be led behind them. And Paul is basically saying, We are like the prisoners of war to you. Church, you're doing really well. Like you're enjoying this lifestyle and you are treating us like we're the spectacle at the end of this procession, like those ready to be killed. Like we're we're being persecuted, we're vulnerable, we're, we're homeless here and you're doing so well, sarcastically. And then he goes on and he compares himself With the church says, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honour, but we are in disrepute. And then this gets to the heart of why the church were looking down on the apostles, those who had planted this church for them. He says to the present hour, we hunger and thirst We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. So this church, they wanted a pastor. They wanted a leader. They wanted a leadership team that was Instagram ready. They wanted like a certain level of glamour. They wanted like some kind of high profile Good looking, well-dressed, public speaker, that those inside the church and those outside the church would look at and say, This guy, this guy is someone worth following. And yet what they had was Paul, someone who was working with his hands, who was not well dressed, who was not Instagrammable, who couldn't be put up there in a celebrity culture, and this man, and they're looking at him saying, We just, we just don't want you to represent us as our leader which is a temptation i think in in all of our hearts isn't it if if we're honest in any given moment like those who look fashionable those who are celebrated those i mean just like youtube you know who are the guys who gets all the hits like those who have like amazing presentation skills. It doesn't matter particularly whether they're telling the truth or not. It sounds good. It feels good. They dress well. They speak amazing and they get millions and millions of hits because they're the kind of we want someone to reflect our celebrity kind of culture because it feels more in tune with where we're at right now. Right. And yet, Paul had none of that. He had none of those credentials to say he would not blow up on YouTube if he were to put his preaching up there. He would stay low, but he's saying this, this is where Christ is. And so, this contrast is continually being painted. And he closes with this, like, kind of punchline at the very end. He says, We have become and still are like the scum. Of the world, the refuse of all things, which is a crazy. It's this idea that Paul is like the dirt on the bottom of your shoe, and he has been treated by the world like he just needs to be peeled off and thrown away. He's saying this is how we're treated, and yet you, church, seem to want to be applauded by the world and be shaped by. Corinth and yet here we are still being thrown away and persecuted. You see the contrast that's being laid out here. One is the way of Christ and him crucified and the other is the way of Corinth or the way of the world. And for all of us we have a choice as to which we are going to be shaped by. Either we're going to be shaped by Christ or we're going to be shaped by our culture and to be shaped by christ does not mean that we deliberately pursue difficult things and awkward things but we do not run away from them if they come amen and so we we have this choice and you might think daniel that's not a very appealing choice and tired on a sunday morning and you're saying like we've got to live like the scum of the world and be picked off the culture's shoe and be like <laughs> where's the where's the good news here What he's doing is he's pointing out some of the culture that they are living in, which we have to be so aware of. There is an American philosopher called David Wallace Foster, who's now passed away. But he gave what became quite a famous or infamous speech at a graduation ceremony in America. And he uses this analogy of us swimming through culture. I don't think he was a Christian, but he... He was saying that one of the the basic principles of education is to make us aware of the most basic things around us that are actually shaping who we are. And he says this, not as a Christian, but I think it's really informative. He says, because here's something else that's weird but true. In the day to day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships, he says. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it JC or Allah or Yahweh or the Wiccan Mother Goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some inviolable set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money or we might say be shaped by money, if you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You will never have that feeling of enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On the one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths and proverbs and cliches and epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. He says, Worship power. You will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect. Being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful, it's that they're unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. It's a long quote, but does that make sense? Like in the day to day life, we are continually slipping into worshipping all of these things around us that press us as real as our judge in life as the thing that we should live for and if we live for those things they will shape us and the point where as christians we would disagree is that it's not just any religion that will uh uh, be a blessing to us but i would suggest only jesus christ because every religion and every secular religion They will all demand from us that we give to this God, that we give to this religion, that we give to this career. A friend told me that if we wanted to make partner in this company, that you literally someone said you can do it, but you probably have to sell your soul to get there. It's like that's how much they demand off you. If you're going to make partner in this company, they want everything they demand from you only jesus christ is the god who chooses to willingly give himself up for us and give himself to us so that we might receive life not that we have to give this god life only in jesus christ do we get life that comes to us and so paul in this moment he he goes through what we looked at last week and he points out some of these because he says you know but with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. He's saying, I'm not living for you, I'm not living by any kind of worldly standards, but only for Jesus Christ. He's saying, I'm putting myself firmly in the place of Jesus, and I am not gonna let myself be shaped by the culture around me. So if, if, if we were to do an inventory on our life, and I think, this is the gospel. This is where I stand, the good news of Jesus Christ, that an almighty God became flesh and died for our sins and was resurrected to a brand new life and is now ascended on high who prays for us right now and one day come back to judge the living and the dead, to make all unrighteousness go away and to bring righteousness to the fore, to bring justice into being. If that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, what bits of our life are not in alignment with the lordship of jesus if he is lord over my life and not money relationships career prospects etc whatever it might be what bits of our lives need realignment need repentance you don't have to shout them out now i know you're thinking i'm not going to shout them out now but it's worth reflecting on because what happened for corinth as they were saying that they believed in christ jesus And yet their life was slipping ever more into this Corinthian mold and they were losing Christ as they tried to take on this kind of celebrity wealth pursuing culture. The difficult thing is in all of this is that by its very nature, we don't see it happening like we are in the water. So we just don't notice it. We just think we're doing life because everyone else is doing life at the same time. So we don't, we don't think there's a problem because, well, it's just the, the way life happens around here. So what we need as a church is the Holy Spirit and the cross of Christ to continue to point these things out to us. Because, because our calling as a church is to live in London, but to not be of the ways of London. Like our, our role and our position as a church is to be a beacon and a light to London. And if we are consumed by the ways of London and if there is nothing that distinguishes us from the ways of our city, then we will in the end have nothing to offer those around us. In a moment, it will feel good. It will feel better for us because we've kind of s- slipped through unnoticed again and we're not causing trouble. And, you know, who likes to cause trouble at work for being a Christian? We don't want that. Like it, but ultimately, if there's nothing that marks us out, we won't have anything to offer. So one theologian says, says it like this, and he talks about the calling of the church. And he says, the church exists to set up in the world a new sign, that's us, a new sign which is radically dissimilar to the world's own manner and which contradicts it in a way that is full of hope. So we are radically dissimilar, like we could walk down the street as Christians and no one would know that we're any different. And yet, as soon as we begin to talk, as soon as we get to give money away, As soon as we share our faith, as soon as people observe us, there is something radically dissimilar about us and in a way that holds out hope. And the way that this all comes into being is that we who are saved by the cross of Christ choose to ever live with the crucified Messiah. Because the world is continuing to pursue an an upward pursuit of increasing health increasing wealth increasing pleasure, increasing comfort increasing etc etc and if those things come for us as Christians we thank God for them and receive them as a gift but that is not our pursuit we as Christians pursue a crucified Messiah it's completely different and in this crucifixion There is hope because in this crucifixion, this is where Jesus Christ died for us. Very often, um, like and you hear this talked about, especially at kind of like a political level in the news. the, the, The problems that are in our world are often put down to fundamentalist beliefs. You know, like it's fundamentalism that is causing the problems in our world. And if there was less fundamentalism, then our world would be a better place. And I think what they mean is those extremists who take up arms, which I understand. Like those who take up political power to try and push their religion forward. But fundamentalism, properly understood, is basically a like a strict adherence to the basic principles. So another way of thinking about it is that it's not actually fundamentalism that is the problem that's causing tensions in in our culture, because I think everyone is probably a fundamentalist at heart. We are all strictly adhering to a certain set of beliefs. The question is, what is our strict adherence and to what beliefs? Because if we do only worship a God who is only high and august and strong and who did not make himself weak and vulnerable, if that is the only if we are strictly adhering to a basic principle of a mighty God, then maybe we will take up might and strength to see a religion pushed forward. But what if there were a group of people who strictly adhere to the basic principle of an almighty God who became weak and left glory and walked amongst us in vulnerability and was crucified what if there was a fundamentalism on the earth around a crucified messiah who became weak to save the world what if we gave ourselves to this type of fundamentalism how would that shape everything what if we gave ourselves to a fundamentalism that says this crucified christ who absorbed injustice and absorbed persecution and received insults and didn't retaliate who was spit at and slapped and had words spoken about and did not retaliate if this was our fundamentalism as christians how would that change healing in the world It's a completely different fundamentalism. Do you understand? And this is what we're called to. When Paul says, this is who I am, he's only like that because he's following Christ Jesus. And this is the Christ Jesus that we learn about. Isaiah tells us of him, he says, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. What if our fundamentalism as Christians was living upon a crucified savior who took our own persecutions against him and did not mistreat us back he took our sins upon himself and died when he could have clicked his fingers called 12 legions of angels down and have the nations obliterated in all righteousness and gone back to glory because of our sin he yet took on our sin and was mistreated with us the the secret to living this kind of life is to taking on christ crucified and then not just moving on and saying "Well, i've I've ticked the box i've got christ crucified in my life and now i want to pursue the things that i'm really into the secret to living this kind of life is saying i've been saved by christ jesus who was crucified and i have been baptized into his life and here i remain Paul says in another place in Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Who? The crucified Christ, the weak one, the vulnerable one, the one who came and absorbed into himself sin. I live here with him. Because the question in this passage that I have, because you get this amazing moment in in 1 1 Corinthians You get this amazing moment. He talks about how they're treated. The the question I had is, how does Paul do this? Because he says, when we were reviled, we bless. And when persecuted, we endure. And when slandered, we entreat. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been any of those, like persecuted or mistreated or maligned or reviled... Like, what is a first or basic instinct? It is to want to get back at them, right? Anyone with me? Marcia's with me. (laughs) If you're English, you don't actually do it. You just run things over in your head and you just ruminate. If you're from Zimbabwe, you probably like, have a go. Yeah, get the fisticuffs out. I don't know. But what happens with Christ Jesus We crucified him and he takes our persecution on himself. When we reviled him, what happens is he blesses us. He prays for us as he is being crucified. When we persecuted him, he endured for our sake so that we might find life in his death. When he was slandered, he entreated us to come to him and find life. And our calling as a church is so radical, it's hard to get our minds around sometimes. We are to align ourselves with Jesus Christ, the crucified one, to align ourselves with Paul and those who have gone before us. Those who have been treated badly and just like Christ, who took on our sin but didn't retaliate to take on the difficulties of this world and not to retaliate, but to pray for the blessing of the city to which we've been called, to be like Christ crucified, to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world to those around us. To the world around us, it will look like weakness. It will look like you've got no backbone, you've got nothing to you, like you fight back, you you give what you get, that's how but we follow a crucified Christ who prays for the salvation, and the blessing of the city. Amen. This is a, it's a high calling for us and one that is not immediately attractive. <laughs> Actually, could I be with the Corinthians? Like uh, if we've got one side of the fence to choose on, could I be with these guys? But life is found with Jesus. Amen. So, our job as Christians and the challenge of our discipleship is to walk on a Monday and a Tuesday, continually being reformed to Jesus Christ, which means walking in His ways, which means listening to His Word, it means opening up our Bibles, it means trying to learn from Him and His ways. If you've ever had the Bible shut for a while, And then you get sucked into the ways of the world. And then you've had that experience of opening up the Bible again. And you feel like that shocking kind of jarring feeling that's also full of hope because you realise, oh, my, there is fresh air in this book. There is a world of life in this book that I can live with. That's where we need to orientate ourselves. So we open up the book continually. It means for us as church that we need to take Sabbath seriously that we rest from the ways of the world, that we take time out of our week and say, I'm going to stop in this moment and reorientate my life around Jesus Christ. I will detach myself from the pursuits of the city and just give myself to being with his people and being with Jesus. It means taking up like an abide day, fasting from food in that little symbolic way for a day just to detach ourselves from the things of this world and remind ourselves, I don't belong to this world. I'm not of this world. I'm in it, but I belong to Jesus Christ. It means gathering with believers, knowing that when we gather, Jesus Christ promises, I will be there with you. And it means Breaking bread together, as we're going to do in just a moment. Gathering with believers. Because when we break bread together, we're not just going through a ritual, we are actually spiritually and physically reenacting the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And where we are being pulled into temptation with the world, we realign ourselves with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we say, I have been baptized into Jesus. And this is where I'm going to remain. This is where I'm going to stay. I'm going to choose, even against some of the instincts and my feelings, I'm going to choose to live with Jesus Christ and him crucified. So in just a moment, we're going to break bread together. And this is for us, this is an act of repentance and turning and conforming our life to the ways of of Jesus Christ. So let me just ask you, like, where are some of the ways in which you feel the the pull of the world in your life? What are some of those? And like David Wallace Foster said, like these things aren't sinful. Doing well in your career is not sinful. Earning a lot of money is not sinful. Having a relationship is not sinful. Having experiences, having, going travelling, all of these things, none of these things are sinful, but it's when they become our gods that we begin to get twisted out of the image of Christ. So as we gather around this, my, my invitation for us is to reflect just for a moment where are some of the areas that we need to repent of and say, Lord, I'm going to turn from that. I'm going to trust in your son and his death and His resurrection, amen?